Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Killington, Vermont, near the intersection of Route 4 and Route 100. There's a patch of woods off the side of the road. Um, okay, so where, where are we standing? So we're in Gifford Woods State Park, and we've just walked a short distance into the woods. I mean, we're not, we haven't even left sight of the road. Uh, but here we are standing next to one of these giant sugar maple trees. It's a spring afternoon, and I'm walking around with Bob Zeno. He's an ecologist with the Vermont Department of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, maybe we should go a little further into the woods and get a little bit further away from the road. <laughs> okay, cool. This patch of forest looks pretty unremarkable, like what you'd see off any trail or road in the Green Mountains. With one exception, every couple hundred feet, there is a very big tree. Okay, here's another big Yeah, so here maple? we are at the base of another tall and large diameter sugar maple. And I actually, I brought this, it's a diameter tape. Oh, and cool. We can use it to measure the size uh, of this sugar maple. Okay, let's do it. I'll just sort of pinch it here. Yeah. Okay. Look at that, exactly 40 inches. Wow. What, um, for people who aren't like numbers oriented, what are most Vermont trees in terms of the diameter? I bet most trees that people see are closer to 6 to 15 inches in diameter. Okay, and this one is 40. 40 inches. Yeah. Bob Zeno estimates this tree could be more than 250 years old. You could hide behind this tree. <laughs> yeah, and the two of us couldn't, we couldn't, like, touch hands if we were to try to put our arms around this tree. It's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism project. I'm Angela Evansy. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been submitted and voted on by you, our audience. This month's winner... Hi, my name is Andrew Wild, and I'm from Burlington, Vermont. A question about Vermont's most elderly woods. Are there any patches of old-growth forests in Vermont? And if so, how are they doing? Like, how is their health? Andrew Wild is a science teacher, educator, and an avid hiker. I'm also wondering if there are social, political, and environmental factors that led to those patches being preserved, and just what the future might hold for those patches. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. Has anyone ever told you that Wild is just about the perfect last name? <laughs> a number of people have told me that over the years, yes. Wild is a great last name for being interested in the natural world, for sure. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. I'll confess, when Andrew's question won for this month's episode, I thought it was going to be pretty straightforward to report. Go to some pretty woods, see some big trees. It wasn't so simple. 
Is there like a master list that our question asker Andrew could look up and and check out? I know there's some books that have tried to uh, make those lists, but I don't think there's any comprehensive list. I think most of the places that are old forest we may not even know about because no one's gone in there to count the tree rings and look for them. Ecologist Bob Zeno broke this news to me in Gifford Woods State Park. It's one of the best-known patches of old growth in the state, even though it's only about 20 acres, spanning a busy state route. Sure, we know about the old forest at at Gifford Woods State Park and Cambridge Pines, for example, and and a few others that we're, we're aware of, less so on private lands. That's Michael Snyder, the commissioner of the Vermont Department of Forests, Parks, and Recreation. I called him up to see if his department, which has forests in its name, keeps a list. Well, we, yes and no and um, more and more. Snyder says more and more because in some ways we're still discovering what old growth remains here. More on that later. But then what about federal land? What old growth do we know about in the Green Mountain National Forest? It is 400,000 acres after all. We estimate that there's about 737 acres at least that we've mapped and categorized on the forest. Jeff Tilley, with the National Forest, says most of that old growth is in remote pockets. There is a more established area, referred to as the Cape, in Goshen and Chittenden. But it's not set up for visitors. It's public land. It's, it's open to the public. But it is a sensitive area. The, the colluvial steep soils that are there are sensitive, which is part of the reason that there's not a lot of interpretive facilities or access. So the short answer to Andrew's question is yes. There are patches of old growth in Vermont, but there's no exhaustive statewide rundown. So over the course of our research, we compiled our own list. After the episode, find it at bravelittlestate.org. Now, to be clear, we're not talking about a ton of acreage. Here's Bob Zeno again. Statistically, it's probably zero in the, in the state. Zero percent old growth forest or old forest. Yeah, if we added up all the, the old forest acres in the state, they'd be just a small blip compared to all the forests in the state? Well, not exactly zero percent. So in general, we have uh, less than half a percent of the old growth that we once had remaining east of the Mississippi. So nowhere in the eastern United States is there more than one percent that's in old growth. Bill Keaton is a professor of forest ecology and forestry at the University of Vermont. However, New York um, has somewhere between 200 and 400,000 acres, mostly in the Adirondack State Park, although, interestingly, it's never been accurately mapped. Compared to what Vermont seems like dozens of acres or hundreds? I think we're somewhere around 1,000 acres in total here. Walking around Gifford Woods with ecologist Bob Zeno, I learned some surprising things about old growth. Number one, it doesn't look the way you might think. Right, so there's that classic image of the thick, dark woods with big trees and nothing else. And uh, what really starts happening in old forests is that you get those big trees, but they're constantly dying. They're falling over. Their tops are breaking off. And so there's actually, in places, a fair bit of light coming into the canopy. This is not some mythical avatar forest. It's not even a dramatic redwood forest, like what you'd find in California. An old forest has big trees, but it also has young trees and middle-aged trees. This is a surprising thing, number two. It's not just about the big old trees. 
In fact, Bob Zeno puts just as much emphasis on trees that are dead and decomposing. You'll notice he doesn't even say old growth forest. He just says old forest. We can see standing here these, you know, one, two, three, four different down logs that are in different stages of decay. Uh, that's a real characteristic of old forests. A tree that dies of old age or falls down in a windstorm turns into new habitat for animals and insects, and it can nurture new saplings. Bob gets very excited about trees that have tipped over and exposed their giant root systems. These are called tip-up mounds, and they are a defining feature of old growth. So we can see here that on that tip-up where that soil is exposed, uh, there's new tree seedlings growing on it. They get uh, way up in the air, so they already have that 10 or 12-foot advantage of light. But tip-up mounds are just one beneficial feature of old forests. Left to their own devices, ecologists say forests can do a better job mitigating flood damage and storing carbon. This brings us to surprising thing number three. For all its unique characteristics and functions, there isn't actually a clear-cut definition of old growth. And yes, that is a logging pun in poor taste. Clear-cut. The threshold age kind of varies by species. Commissioner Michael Snyder and others say the general starting point is an age of 150 years or more. Then there are other factors. So it's age and what we call complex structure, which is the spatial arrangements and sizes of the trees in a forest. And then um, the third main component is minimal evidence of human disturbance. Complexity is key. And minimal evidence of human disturbance, not none. So not many stumps or tap holes in trees. You know, I look around this place here and there's an abundance of sugar maple. And I can't help but think about, has someone done some maple sugaring in here? Have they cut a few sticks of firewood? Bob Zeno says even the Gifford Woods may not have escaped the human hand. Depending on how you look at it, that may or may not be old growth forest anymore. But this is an old forest, and it's a forest where nature is primarily driving what happens here. You can see how the capital OG old growth can become open to interpretation. And that's probably why cataloging all of Vermont's areas has been so tricky. Now, there's a reason there's so little old growth left on the Vermont landscape. You might be familiar with this history, and if you're not, my colleague Lynn McRae has a quick recap. Here's Lynn. It's a story that starts about 250 years ago. As settlers moved into Vermont in the late 1700s, they came pretty much for one reason, to farm. And yes, at one point, that included raising merino sheep. From the get-go, farming meant cutting down a lot of trees. I mean, they just went to town with their axes. I mean, it's, it's kind of staggering to think of the, just the human labor involved in clearing these dense hardwood forests. This is Jan Albers. She's the author of Hands on the Land, a book about Vermont's landscape history. They used to, you know, girdle them, which would be to, you know, cut around them, or they just hacked them down. This was an era of dramatic deforestation, a remarkable time when farmers cleared trees all the way up into the Green Mountains. And they were clearing up, 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 so that by the, you know, later 19th century, Vermont was 75 to 80 percent clear cut. 
which of course is why there is so little old growth in Vermont's forests today. But Jan reminds us that forests are dynamic, and even before humans, they were in a constant state of flux. There were these climatic changes, there are blowdowns, there are forest fires. You know, different trees will start outcompeting other trees. Animals can have an impact. And then there's the beginning of human influence. Jan says people tend to think that Native Americans had hardly any impact on Vermont's forests. But they did. They were, you know, they were cutting trees, they were making fires, they were making birch bark canoes. And then, you know, in the period before Europeans came, they were farming. But their impact was nothing compared to what the settlers did. By the late 1800s, they had cleared three quarters of the land in Vermont. And this makes the opposite of the landscape we have today, which is 75 to 80 percent forested. That brings us back to something our question asker, Andrew, wondered about. How did the trees that were left standing manage to escape the axe? I would say it was an accident of history. Absolutely, a very felicitous and happy accident. The larger conservation movement of the 20th century certainly helped all Vermont's forests. But Jan Albers guesses that any patches of old growth that survived did so by luck. It's kind of an amazing thing that these little pockets have just escaped. It probably has more to do with land patterns than anything. You know, somebody has a farm and they never got that back 40 completely cut down. They had their hands full with the front 40. Maybe that was just some farmer's favorite hunting spot himself, you know. Let's just keep that woods because that's where I always see the deer, you know. I want to return to something that Bob Zeno said earlier. I think most of the places that are old forest we may not even know about because no one's gone in there to count the tree rings and look for them. Even though the overall percentage of old growth is super low here, there are still pockets that haven't been identified yet. This adds an element of mystery and ongoing discovery. So I walk in and I go, oh wow, this is either old growth or it's something very close to it. This is Dan Wells. He was a master's student at UVM in 2005 when he identified an area of old growth that people hadn't known about. It's an area right along Austin Brook, It's on the border between Warren and Granville. Dan found it by looking at an old Forest Service map that showed cut dates from logging. And this little spot had an estimate that said 1820, question mark, question mark, question mark. And there were two things that intrigued me. One was that I rarely see them use multiple question marks. That indicated we really don't know what's going on here. And then the second thing was that 1820, even if it had been cleared in 1820, is extremely old. It was clearly a special experience for Dan. It had enormously mature, there's some very large sugar maple in there, there's some very large eastern hemlock. There's the largest white ash I've ever seen is in there. There's more structured discovery happening too under Vermont's current use program, which gives tax incentives for farms and forest land. Back in 2008, the program added six categories of ecologically significant areas. And uh, one of those categories was what we call old forest, and that's great. And some landowners have chosen to enroll their pieces. 
Here's Forest Commissioner Michael Snyder again. He says thanks to this program, his department has started to learn about hitherto unknown fragments of old growth all over the state, from a couple acres in size to a couple hundred acres. We continue to stumble on, in some ways, almost literally stumble into areas and say, wait, what's going on here? Because as, you know, as I like to say, you can feel the difference in a truly old forest. Snyder just published a book called Woods Wise, an exploration of forests and forestry. In the book, there's a chapter with tips on how to tell if you have old forest on your property. We've got a link up at our website. And then there are places of old growth sitting in plain sight. It's my turn to take a field trip with ecologist Bob Zano. We're in the natural area of Kingsland Bay State Park in Ferrisburg on a very wet day, heading down a short wooded path towards Lake Champlain. Let's keep walking down to the water. Bob leads me out to a small cove that looks across to New York State. There are rocky cliffs on each side of the cove jutting out into the water. And we can see the these cedar trees clinging uh, what looks like you know, precariously to the edge of the cliff. They're northern white cedars. They don't look that special. They certainly don't look that old. But looks are deceiving. They have a, a harsh life out on the cliffs. And they're not going to grow big and tall and straight. They're stunted and twisted. Uh, their branches are broken off. But these could easily be 200, 250-year-old trees right here. So we are looking at really old trees right out in the open on the lake. Bob says one reason for the longevity of the northern white cedar is that it loves the calcium-rich rock that's here. It's common here in Vermont, but uncommon elsewhere. So we have this unique setting compared to our neighboring states. And this unique setting brings up another important point about old forests. They're not all the same. This is quite a contrast to... Gifford Woods, where we were looking at a northern hardwood forest of beech, birch, and maple. And that means some of the species that live here are different, too. You know, peregrines nesting on cliffs. Ecologist Bob Zeno says the diversity and complexity of well-established systems in old forests like this one make them more resilient to threats like invasive species. But that doesn't make them immune. Yeah, I think, uh, just like Gifford Woods, the threats that these places face are the same threats that all of our natural areas, all of our forests face. And it's, it's things like invasive species, it's uh, fragmentation and development, which may seem uh, hard to picture here, but uh, this place would be very much changed if there were roads and other development just at the top of the cliff. And what especially worries Bob is climate change. I think that climate change is a big threat to places like this, particularly when we think about changes in precipitation and temperature, these places are going to change and we're not going to be able to keep them what they are now. So what's gonna happen here? I think it's a big question and it's, it's what worries me. So again, I don't want to diminish the significance of those remaining fragments. Those are important and we need to conserve them. Back to Bill Keaton, the UVM professor we met earlier. And with all due respect to our question asker, Andrew, Bill says we should be asking a different question about old growth. I would ask, what is the future of old growth on the New England landscape and in Vermont? And does it have a future? You know, 
Are there places where we might try to restore and promote old-growth forests? Bill takes me on a tour of the UVM Jericho Research Forest. He's been working on an experiment here for almost 20 years. And when he started out, the forest was like an adolescent forest. Your very typical kind of young to mature, secondary, northern hardwood hemlock forest. Most of the trees were 60 to 80 years old. Just very homogeneous. And Bill was wondering, is it possible to help the forest age? How do we take a structurally simple forest like this that's in this kind of mid-stage of development, and, and how do we push it along faster towards that more complex um, later stage of development? You can't speed up time. But can you help the woods develop some of the beneficial characteristics of old growth? It turns out the answer to that question is yes. So I'm about to show you this experiment where we're testing something called structural complexity enhancement. Bill leads me to some plots where he's been testing methods to help promote the conditions of old growth. So right here, you've crossed a boundary line into uh, what we've created here. And I hope you'll notice the differences as we walk in. Yeah, so it definitely seems like more uh, trees on the ground. Absolutely. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and I'm particularly proud of this right here, this tip-up mound, as we call them, which we've created all throughout here. Very typical. Instead of waiting for the wind to blow this tree over, Bill used a skitter to pull it down and tip up its root mass. And just like the tip-up mounds in Gifford Woods, this one is now sprouting little yellow birch and hemlock. Which is just incredibly gratifying to me to see how well this has worked. There are other downed trees and also standing dead trees. This is all Bill's handiwork. It's messier exactly. over here. That's exactly what we're going for. And I'm so glad you noticed that. that the minute you, you cross the boundary, it becomes messier. You see the downed wood. You see the big dead trees that we've created there and there. You see the, the gap in the canopy. You see the tip-up mound. You see the, the multi-layered canopy with trees of all sizes and ages and at different positions in the canopy. Uh, to some people, that looks messy. It looks cluttered, and they don't like that. It doesn't fit the ideal that some people have of a forest, and yet that's precisely what we're going for here. Bill's been testing this stuff for 16 years, but he's run some models to figure out that he's helped this plot, quote, age, or develop characteristics associated with old growth, about twice as quickly as it would on its own. It's also storing more carbon than plots with conventional management, aka logging. And Bill firmly believes that anyone who owns forest land can promote old growth conditions, whether you're logging or just tending to the woods behind your house. Leave some of those brush piles on the ground. Leave the woody debris. Leave the slash. Think of all that stuff as habitat. Think of it as carbon. Think of it as services that that forest has provided. We, we have to move away from this, this ideal of the, the clean forest or the, the forest that we can see into beautifully from our backyard. Um, that might be aesthetically pleasing like a park, but it's not nearly as good for a lot of wildlife and other things. We learned earlier that Vermont's old forests are facing the same threats as the rest of our woods. Bill is particularly concerned about invasive species, and he says they may ultimately transform what Vermont's old growth looks like. 
hemlock woolly adelgid, Asian longhorned beetle, emerald ash borer, beech bark disease, which of course has already decimated the large beech. All of these things are going to interact with climate change and they're going to stress this ecosystem. And uh, so how all of that's going to play out into the future is still uncertain, but I'm convinced that there is a role for old growth on the landscape in the future. He's convinced, Bill says, because when it comes to climate change, forests with old growth conditions may be more resilient. The recent research has shown that old growth is highly resistant to climate, or at least more so than maybe some other kinds of of forests. Hmm. That's really interesting, the idea that you can create characteristics in the ecosystem of the old growth forest. That's, That's really interesting. I looped back to our question asker, Andrew, to share our answers to his question. He was surprised. I am surprised. I was particularly surprised about how certain places became preserved, like this aspect of some of them being overlooked. I'm also somewhat surprised by like what they would just look like. It's challenging some of my conceptions of what those places are actually like. Andrew says now that he's learned a little, he wants to learn more. I want to go to Gifford Woods and see what that's like and potentially some other places. Well, I hope you make it to Gifford Woods. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the show this month. Lynn McRae reported this episode with me. If you have a question about Vermont you want us to answer, ask it at bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can also vote on the one you want us to answer next. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund and from VPR Sustaining Members. You can make a gift anytime to support our show at bravelittlestate.org donate. Or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Editing this month by Mark Davis. Our theme music is by Ty Gibbons. Other music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back next month with this question. My name is Jill, and I'm from the Northeast Kingdom. And my question is, what's the plan for the pit in the middle of Newport? Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.